Today we're tackling a subject often discussed in hushed tones in quiet corners of rooms, and that subject is overcoming grief and trauma. But rather than tread the well-worn paths, we're venturing into how health and wellness can serve as unexpected beacons during our darkest hours. This journey will challenge our preconceptions and illuminate the transformative power of fitness, nutrition, and mindfulness in the face of loss. So if you've ever grappled with heartache or sought solace in the midst of sorrow, today's episode promises a fresh perspective that may just change the way you view healing. Hello and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Nancy Flint Buddy is here and she's going to share her journey of not just overcoming grief and trauma, but actually healing and growing. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by The Silver Edge, your dedicated partner in redefining life after 50. Here at The Silver Edge, we refuse to accept that it's all downhill from here. Instead, we champion a health-first philosophy, guiding you to build a lean, robust, and vibrant body that stands the test of time. Tired of temporary weight loss solutions and yo-yo diets? It's time for a lasting change. Discover if we're your perfect fit. Just head over to silveredgefitness.com and tap on the coaching tab at the top of the page or drop us a line at coach at silveredgefitness.com to learn more. Okay, let's dive into today's show. guest today is Nancy Flint Buddy, who, after losing her husband to cancer last year, embarked on a transformative journey where fitness, nutrition, and mindfulness became essential pillars in rebuilding her life. Nancy's story is both heartrending and inspirational, offering a fresh perspective on navigating the challenges of loss. So whether you've experienced grief yourself or know someone going through it, today's episode promises insight and wisdom that can reshape how we perceive and approach healing. Now, before we get into today's episode, some of you may recognize Nancy's voice. She was a guest recently on a Coach's Corner episode, I think it was just a couple weeks back, titled How Nancy Lost Six Inches from Her Waist. So for those of you that are interested in hearing that part of the story, be sure to check that episode out. Okay, without further ado, let's meet Nancy. Met my husband in college, and we got married when we were 24, had three awesome sons, and we lived in a couple of different places, but mostly in upstate New York, close to where I grew up. And he is a creative, so was working in advertising as a writer and doing writing on his own. And I was originally in banking and mortgage banking, and then during sort of that midlife age 40 time, started my own financial planning practice. I had got my certified financial planner designation along the way. And my husband's parents both passed away 
quite early at age 69 and 71. And so we had some financial things to manage and I had the financial planning degree to help do that. And I enjoyed it. And I started talking to people about how I could break into the financial planning world. And I met a mentor who said, don't go to work for any of the companies, do an independent thing if what you really want to do is plan and not push product. And that really appealed to me. And so I started my practice in 2000 and had an awesome financial planning practice, helping building relationships with families and individuals. And then in 2019, we decided, we had, of course, done our own planning, that it was time to have a little fun. And so we were able to relocate to Galveston, Texas. Our youngest son had gone to Rice, and we had discovered Texas, and particularly Galveston, which had tremendous amount of history and interesting architecture, and we just loved the people there. And so we sold the practice and an office building that my husband, Al, was managing and our house and put everything in storage and moved to Galveston. And that was December of 2019, just before COVID. And then COVID hit and we considered ourselves very fortunate to be in a climate where we could be outdoors during COVID. We had been active, but I think we were active like a lot of people are active. Like I love to walk, so I walk. Al loved to play Mm -hmm. tennis, so he played a lot of tennis. But we didn't, as a financial planner, what's the first rule? Diversify. We didn't diversify. We basically focused on the things that we did. And so that was kind of what we did. It got us certainly through COVID. He had had some health issues along the way, sort of acute things that were dealt with by the medical system. Nobody ever kind of drew a thread between them all, that there was a chronic inflammation issue going on. And so... I guess I'm giving you my whole story, if that's okay, in one go. But uh, well, actually, you know what, Nancy, hold hold on, because before we get into this next chapter of your story, I want to back up and pick a couple of things apart here. Okay. So you had mentioned that I think it was in 2000. You said, "Hey, I decided to go out on my own." What what sparked that entrepreneur in you? What was the catalyst for you going out on your own? You mentioned somebody had mentioned, "Hey, you should sell your own things." But well, it's. It it was a couple of different things. One was that I did not want to be forced to sell product. I wanted to help people and give them as many choices as were out there, not just the proprietary choices that somebody might be pushing. I didn't want to be incented one way over another. Mm. And also, it was a personal decision for control over my time. I wanted to set my own schedule I wanted to do things the way I wanted to do things as opposed to the way somebody else was telling me to do them. And of course, tremendously scary. By the time you get to 40, you know, you were in a biz- sales business. Sure. By the sure. time you yeah. get to 40, you're trying to get in towards a really comfy spot and to just walk away from the benefits and the salary and all that stuff and start fresh is frightening. But Al was do- had a freelance business at that point, was doing pretty well. We felt like we could do it. College was not too far in the distance, and we were you know, a little worried about covering all those costs. And so it just seemed like it was a good time to to do it. So best decision I ever made. 
No, I love hearing that. And obviously, I'm also a a midlife entrepreneur and, uh, you know, over the age of 50 before I left a very secure job with good benefits, good pay, all of that. And it it can be very scary. Now, I did it after the kids were out of the house. You did it while you still had three. I think you mentioned three getting lined up, getting ready to go into college. So that can be a really scary proposition. But I think that that's a really exciting move for a lot of people, a big turning point in a lot of people's lives, right? To take this decision to go into business for themselves, because you're right, there's there's a lot of unknowns in that, right? What if you fail? What if it doesn't work out the way you think it does? There's just all these things. Now, if you started this in 2000, today, if you start a business, it's, I suppose, the idea is let's get some social media going, let's get popping there. But back then, I, I think that the way you would have advertised or let the world know that you had a business would have been a lot different, well, right? How did you- I used, I used you bring, all my networking. All your networking, yeah. And the yeah. fact that I had a mentor who gave me free office space for a year. So that helped mm. me, but also I opened up at the same time an office in the town where I grew up, which was a tiny town, but I knew everybody. Well, yeah. the trust was already a little bit built in there. So that, that helped right. too. Yeah, definitely. So the power of network, power of community. And just out of curiosity, where, what town was that in? Salem, in New York. York. Oh, it's okay. a gotcha. tiny gotcha. little town right on the Vermont border. Oh, okay. Damn, right on. All right. Now, the other thing I found really interesting in your story up to now is you mentioned that I think it was 2019, right? That you said, hey, we had an opportunity to move to Texas. I think one of your kids was there. Was this a full or partial retirement type thing for you guys? Okay. So first of all, we don't use the word retirement. Retirement means to lay down (laughs) and go to sleep. Um, I first childhood without parental supervision. But we did decide to begin a new phase of our lives. And Mm -hmm. I continue to educate. I had a client say to me once, you spend the first third of your life learning, the second third of your life earning, and the third you should spend returning. And so I very Mm -hmm. much wanted to do something to give back. And so I affiliated with a company that's close to D.C. that does financial planning seminars for federal government employees that are preparing to retire. And I used to do it in person, but after COVID, it's all online. So I have been fortunate to be able to continue to do full-day seminars on preparing for retirement. So that kept me busy. And Al had been writing plays with a collaborator, musicals, for many years. And he continued to do a lot of just writing as much for himself as for anything else, not for income. So we did have these these things we were doing, for sure. Okay. No, as you you could probably guess, I'm very, very into next phases, next chapters, new phases. I've not heard that your life is divided into three. You said, what, at the first, you're learning, the second, third, you're earning, the next third, you're returning. And I love that concept. So, all right. So I cut you off a minute ago. You were talking about that Al had had some, had this kind of, nobody had strung the, connected the dots, I guess, with some of these health issues. What was going on with Al during this time? Well, he had had a number of weird things. He had a lymph node on his neck that grew. He had a very irregular heartbeat that he'd never had before. He had some digestive problems. Probably the the worst one was 
he developed them. These were all about a year apart. So they were consecutive. Mm. They deal with one, seemed to be fixed, and we'd move on. I think we were all set. But he had an outbreak of psoriasis over about 85% of his body that prevented the use of his hands or his feet. And that was when we finally said they had me putting sands on him and all kinds of stuff. And he went to a functional doctor who said, you know, there's something that's disease, something inside you, some type of inflammation, and it's presenting itself in lots of different ways. And he changed his diet and found, did some vitamin deficiency testing and determined that he couldn't process B, I think it was 12. He needed to have mm. it sublingually, you know, some things like that. And it cleared up so fast. And then we, and we were like amazed. So then we really didn't do a period of gluten free. We started to pay more attention to what we ate and, and to our diets definitely after that time. And that lasted, but that was still probably 2016, 2017, maybe when that happened. And what was your diet like prior to that? You had mentioned you guys were now all of a sudden you're very keyed on what you eat. Did you give a lot of thought to what we you did. ate? We did. We always, we were your classic people that tried not to eat a lot of processed food, didn't really eat a lot of desserts. But I'll tell you, happy hour, absolutely. Always happy mm -hmm. hour. Very much a part of our regular routine. That was when we came back together at the end of the day to figure out what was going on. So I say if we looked at ourselves and we looked at other people, we thought we were doing above average. But did we know what we were eating? Did we have any idea about the composition of our diet? Did we think that there was room for improvement? Sure, but it didn't seem to be an acute problem. So sure, we, we were smart, but not really owning it. Fair. Okay. All right. So you've got this incident, you've got these incidents and they seem to be spaced apart. You've got this most recent one with the psoriasis. And now you're introduced into the world of functional doctors. You're introduced to taking ownership of nutrition in a, in a way to directly impact optimal health or disease even. So for example, you had the psoriasis and as opposed to just treating that with a, a medicine or you mentioned the salve or the creams. Now we're changing diet and that's seeming to have some impact. Where do we go from here? So another thing that that doctor recommended was to get a little break from the gray winters of the Northeast. And so we discovered Galveston and we spent a couple of weeks there a few times during the winter and then decided that, that we would make that our permanent home. And so we felt that was a really important change for us. And when we got down there, we continued pretty much the same lifestyle as far as nutrition and eating. We were active. As I said earlier, she played a lot of tennis. And even during COVID, we were able to walk a lot and, and do things. And then he, in January of 2022, he was playing tennis and he got a pain in his shoulder. And... He said, it's just a really weird pain. And he'd been complaining a little bit about GI stuff 
And we had gone gluten-free again, which we did periodically just to kind of feel better. And so he went to see his primary care. And the primary care, good doctor, had always been very open to the functional medicine kinds of things that we talked about, said, let's get some, some tests done. I'm going to refer you to a GI. So we referred him to a GI, and it was still COVID protocol. I wasn't allowed to go in. And mm. so I did write a note that I sent in with him to give to the doctor, which said his mother died of pancreatic cancer. And I think he's 61 years old. He should have a CT scan. And so they said, oh, well, you know, we'll get you an endoscopy and see what's going on. And you're going to have a colonoscopy anyway. And he said, yeah, well, my wife really wants me to have a CT scan. And so they reluctantly agreed. And they even said to him, it's not going to show anything, but we'll do it. Well, the first two tests came back, didn't show anything. And the CT scan came back and he had a tumor in his pancreas that was more than twice the size that there was any treatment at all. And so that was, of course, a complete shock. That was February of 22. And he was amazing. He just said, you know, they just said, get your affairs in order. And he just said, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to just show people that you don't have to be afraid. And he was really, really amazing. We had tons of company visit. People came and visited. He communicated with people, used Caring Bridge, if you're familiar with that app at all. Amazing. And he lasted 72 days from diagnosis. So he went wow. from playing tennis in January to passing away at the end of April. So that was pretty crazy and sudden. House full of people. The kids were all there. Tremendous amount of support. And then what happens afterwards, and you just kind of have to evaluate, fortunately, a real gift that we could make a lot of decisions together. So we had made some decisions about the house and where I was going to be and those kinds of things. And he was awesome. And then I maintained a second home. Well, we, we had purchased a property in Vermont that needs a lot of work. And so the decision was that I would finish this project. And so I came up to Vermont last summer and I was here. And as I think back on it, I don't remember a lot about it other than I just was really staying busy, staying busy, staying busy. And I don't think I was eating differently. In retrospect, I may have been continuing my happy hours more than I should have, which is very common. Then I got back down to Galveston last fall and I had been having migraines and they began to be more frequent. And I had one in December that was debilitating. I didn't even know what a migraine really was. So I learned about it and I said, okay, this is a sign. I've really got to start to take charge. So I cleaned up my diet. I didn't get rid of alcohol completely, but I really was making sure not even any sugar or processed foods. And I set an appointment with my primary care physician. And I went to my primary care physician in January. And she basically said, I think I was 161, maybe, my weight. And she basically said, all your labs are great. You're a little bit high on the red blood cell count, hemocrit and hemoglobin. 
And I had been having some pains when I was walking in the tops of my thighs. And so I was concerned about that because I do have a, a history in my family of blood clots. And so I said to her, you know, well, I've got this history in my family of blood clots. I think maybe we should look into this a little bit more. And she said, well, you know, like we always hear, eat less, exercise. Yeah. And so I left there very frustrated and said, you know what, Nancy, you got to do this yourself. These are about the choices you make, not about nobody else is going to fix this for you. And so I went on Weight Watchers. And I was on Weight Watchers. Well, I was on Weight Watchers for probably about a month. But during that time, I had a road trip from Texas to Florida for a family event. And I discovered podcasts. And I heard your podcast with Dr. Nathan Goodyear about okay, allergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was blown away. And it just really spoke to me and said, you need to do, you need to learn. You need to figure this out. And gratefully, you guys were there to help me along that road. But I also have, you know, explored many of your guests like Dr. Gabriel Lyon and a lot of the people that you've had on, I've gone down the rabbit hole with listening to, to the people and taking scientific information and trying to apply it to myself and to what's going on. And so the migraines, the pains in the, I mean, all that stuff, it's just something that I used to have. It doesn't have any impact on me anymore. Now, well, my, when, by the time I started working with Monica, I think, I was at 146. I had been working really hard to lose weight. And again, that's the benchmark that everybody tells you, right? Yeah. But I wasn't healthy. So she got me looking at my diet, managing my macros, doing the resistance training, which I mean, I had, you know, six foot six. 225 pound husband and three sons that were built the same way. I never lifted anything. So yeah. I was like, oh man, this is really going to be hard. But because I was starting from such a low spot, my, my results were pretty dramatic pretty quickly. So that was empowering too. And then I really started to sort of process this the way I would as a planner, which is hmm. that. You know, I would tell my clients, we don't plan to die. Don't talk to me about how are you going to spend your money before you die or how quickly can I take Social Security to make sure I get what's coming to me. Let's plan to live. And I would talk about what's one of your finances going to look like when you get to 85 or 90? Are you going to have enough? And it was a different way for people to think about it. And I said, I need to do the same thing with my health, not what am I going to do when I need long-term care? But how do I keep myself from needing long-term care, you know? And I would tell people the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services says that 70% of 65-year-olds are going to need some form of long-term care. You know, they aren't going to be able to get out of bed by themselves, go to the bathroom, address themselves. And I would say, you know, how are we going to address that? And we would typically try to address it with long-term care insurance. But at the end of the day, a lot of people couldn't get it because they already had these chronic issues that prevent them from getting it. And really what we should have been doing is how can we get healthy 
so that we don't need it. And I wish I had been able to go there with my client 20 years ago. But at this point, I'm going there with myself and I'm saying, okay, so how do I plan to live and set functional goals for myself that I know I'm aiming for? When I started working with Monica, I think I was 146 or 147 my weight. And, you know, we both agreed that weight loss was not one of my goals. I just wanted to get stronger. And here I am 10 pounds lighter, but you know what? I'm six inches less in my waist. So all of that was a recomposition of my body to be what my body should be. And it's just tremendously powerful. So I now have Peter Atia talks about the Centurion Decathlon. And I now have my list of things that to be able to do when I turn a hundred and you know, lift a 25-pound suitcase and put it in the overhead or lift a mm-hmm. grandchild, those kinds of things. And I just think that's incredibly empowering and cool. And I just am uh, feeling very fortunate. How did grief and trauma play into that? It gave me an opportunity for rewriting a little bit. I probably couldn't have made as drastic the changes that I made unless my husband was on board. And I'm sure he would have been on board, but the fact that I just have to worry about me now is is something that makes it a little bit easier for me to reimagine, you know, myself. And I would not have reimagined myself looking or feeling like I feel. Even a year ago, I wouldn't have reimagined. Wow. that I mean, that is such a moving story. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing all of that with us. So. I, I love that you talk about going to the doctor and the doctor, of course, giving that very vague, but very well-meaning advice of, hey, you just need to eat less and move more. And we've all heard that, right? right? I've certainly heard that in, in some of my checkups in the past. And it, it is, it's a little bit frustrating to think, eat less, but there's nothing about the quality of food I'm eating. Move more, well, what do you mean? Go for a run? Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with going for a run to be to be certain. But especially for those, those of us over 50, this prescription of just getting stronger, being functionally stronger, more capable, more vital, and eating real healthy whole foods as opposed to eating less food. And the other thing I wanted to to pull out of that that I thought really landed with me was when you said that the scale isn't the only metric. And look, this, I mean, we're, we're a scale-obsessed culture. And as you know now, having been a client, we have people come in and they say, hey, I want to lose X number of pounds. I want to weigh this much. And that's... <laughs> When they start, they're not sophisticated enough to have seen some of these other changes, these body recomposition changes. That's their only metric, right? But what we often find is with these people is if they lose only half of that weight, but they are because they're building muscle at the same time, their body has changed pretty dramatically and they start to feel better. They start to, you know, they start to sleep better. Their stress is better. Their libido improves. Just all these other things in their lives start to start to become better. And I think that that's what you're talking about when you say, hey, I I want to plan, I don't want to plan to die. I want to plan how I'm going to live. And that horrifying statistic you threw out there about 70, 70% of the people over 65 are going to need long-term care. How That's what I want to do. I want to rail against that. How can you and I go out and evangelize this other way of life to other people to help bring that number way, way down, right? It's so difficult because 
we're human. And this is true in financial planning too. I could tell people all day long what to do, but they have mm -hmm. to own it and they have to make the choice to do it. And so I think the best thing is always little steps, certainly, yeah. but also reframing. I think, you know, our society has framed certain things. Well, how long did your parents live? That's how long you're going to live. No, that doesn't make any right. sense at all with our medical advances. We frame things and we, we hear these scripts that aren't necessarily um, valid scripts for us anymore. And so I think part of it is, is that conversation. That's what that's what we can do. You're not telling somebody what to do. You're having a conversation about what their framing is and how that might not be appropriate anymore, given the changes. And I mean, I sit on my front porch here in Vermont and I watch people walk by and it's very easy to say, well, I'm doing as well or better than they're doing, but that's not the point. The point isn't to say, well, I think I'm doing okay. It's to say, am I going to be able to do these things later? And sure, I don't, nobody wants to go into a nursing home, but what's our, what's our reaction to that? People say, well, I won't. Well, what control will you have over that if you don't make some decisions today about how you're going to live your life, what you're going to put into your body? This human body is freaking amazing. It's just its ability to heal itself, its ability to recalibrate is just so powerful. And yet sometimes we don't let it do that work because we step in for a quick fix. And so I think some of it is is that kind of a con just conversation with people and not so much a telling as a listening and just having the conversation. And I maybe that's why I like podcasts so much because I hear that long form conversation go. Yeah. And oh yeah. man, this is really interesting. And I see what they're saying. And yeah, or sometimes yeah, I don't know about that. That sounds a little bit too one way or the other. And so it's it's a really great format, I think, for that. Oh, I, I obviously I whole wholesale agree with you on that. I love having these longer, more nuanced conversations. And we're now kind of in the social media culture where everything's a soundbite, everything's a meme, everything's a post. And what can you say in right. under 15 seconds? Because right. that seems to be the extent of our of our attention spans, right? right? But I think also that's that idea of talking to people who maybe aren't as far along on this journey or who don't realize the, just the, you know, they say, Hey, I don't want to end up in a, an assisted care, but they're not taking any steps there. I think a lot of times what happens is people look at say somebody like me or, you know, a fitness person online and they think that's an annoying person there. And you know, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to look right. like, or be like that person because I don't want to do what they right. do to get there. It just, that does, that sounds horrible. And I, I really want to fight back against that for a couple of reasons, but the biggest is, is it's not that horrible. It's not as bad as people think. I, I know sometimes people assume that all I eat is salads and I live in the gym and nothing could be further th from the truth. I eat lots of desserts. I have tons of carbs. I'm currently, I'm in the gym three times a week. That's it. Just three times a week. So it, it's not this horrible, odious task, but back to your point, it's just this mindset shift. It's this reframing. I think you called it. It's this investing in your future self. 
And I think that if people are willing to to open their minds to taking those slow, small steps towards getting there and reclaiming their health, taking ownership for their health, I think it make a huge, huge difference in the long run. I, I know that's exactly what you've been saying. And right? I think too, sometimes people think, oh, well, it's going to the gym all the time or it's doing whatever all the time. And just like financial planning, it's diversity. Got to sure. do a lot of different things. I had never done resistance. And so now I'm doing resistance, but I had walked like crazy. And now I've started to do a little bit more of the higher cardio stuff. I've layered that on. So, you know, mixing it up, doing things, you know, walking the dog. I mean, there's so many things that we do that can involve movement. And if you do it thoughtfully, it really is going to keep you just feeling better and, and looking better. And that's, that's really, I think, the message when people say to me, whoa, what did you do? They're saying, what diet did you go on? But, yeah. you know, it's a diet is no different than what processed food did you buy? It's a brand. And that isn't going to be something that you can internalize and do for the rest of your life. It's just a, a, a brand, you know, and I'm going to be done. Monica's going to graduate me at the end of August. Yeah. But what I hear. I'm going to still track my macros. I, en I enjoy making sure that my my diet is in balance. And she says, well, you can probably do this without even tracking it. I said, no, I don't want to. I want to know all yeah. that. I continue to, to do that. And so everybody's different. You know, you run into the, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to have any restrictions. There don't need to be any restrictions. I mean, as you alluded to, I am eating way more calories than I was eating before. Yeah, hang on. I want I want you to repeat that. I know I say it all the time, <laughs> just as somebody else is saying yeah. it. But you just said something very interesting, right? You've lost weight. You've built muscle. You've got this body composition that you love, but you're eating more, not less food. Is that That's right? Absolutely right. That yeah. protein. Oh my goodness. You know, you get up in the yeah. morning, you're like, how am I going to hit my protein goal today? And it's a challenge. And when you're like, well, I'll just have a little bit larger chicken or steak or I grew up in rural America. I don't have any problem with dairy. So let me have another yogurt or a glass of milk. That for me is, is extra. It doesn't feel like yeah. I'm being deprived at all because I'm getting something that I probably would have stopped before and thought, oh, well, I probably shouldn't have those extra calories. And so that's, it's really kind of liberating. Right, right. Yeah, you, you, pro I'm preaching to the choir here. You know that our philosophy with diets is diets is just a tool. It's something that we use and we use it sparingly. There's no need for you to be on a, especially like a perpetual diet. I mean, we get a lot of people in our programs that have been, it's almost sad, they've been restricting calories most of their adult life. And usually that's some sort of boom and bust type mm -hmm. dieting as well. It's yo-yo dieting, or I, you know, I lose the pounds and I gain them back, or I've been in Weight Watchers for five years yeah. and you know, result of that is me eating 1300 calories a day and feeling kind of miserable. But we're hitting, Nancy, I, we're hitting I, your goal and saying I'm done. Yeah, we're big, big fans of what happens before and after your diet is way more important yeah. than anything you do on your yeah. diet. Exactly. Yeah, it's that whole lifestyle yeah. thing. But 
Nancy, I wanted to kind of wrap up here with a, a some conversation specifically, I suppose, around grief. And then maybe we'll bring it out on a, a higher note here. But in terms of dealing with grief, it seems to me you came to us, right, as, as you entered this program. And to be sure, the, the grieving process is an, is an ongoing one. But talk to us a little bit about the role of fitness or exercise or this kind of this healthy living that you've embraced. How has that played a role? And I don't know. Recovery is probably not the right word, but just dealing managing with, trauma. With, yeah, managing trauma. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think me being the personality I am, I originally handled everything in a very "what do I need to do, get done" kind of a way, and I never really stopped and addressed the way my body was handling the trauma. And what I have learned is that I need to pay attention, and Monica helped me with this, to my sleep and to my parasympathetic nervous system, and it continues to be out of whack. There's still some trauma in there. This is, this is definitely not something that I've accomplished, and I shouldn't expect that I have. You know, I'm less than 16 months out, so, I mean, that's still something there, but I think the biggest thing I've learned is that healing, first of all, our bodies are amazing, that healing is is physical and emotional. And we have things inside our bodies that are reacting to the grief and the trauma. Trauma can come from lots of different things. And that we need to get to know our bodies in order to be able to really deal with that and exercise. And, you know, in some ways, particularly resistance training, because you're focusing on certain parts of your body, I have found to be really, really good. I think I was initially just kind of moving through space and now I am more in touch and that has helped me really to get some control because that's sudden grief trauma is an unexpected thing. And as much as we try to plan for unexpected things that happen in our lives, they're still unexpected when they happen. And so the main thing is you had no control over that. And now you need to get some control back. And Mm. so how do you do that? Well, you know, some people do it by not making any changes. You know, that thing about don't make any changes for a year. I'm not a proponent of that. I think you need to step back and say, what healthy changes can I make right now? And one of those certainly can be diet. Stop alcohol completely. Let yourself cleanse. It's amazing how getting back in touch with being in control is, I think, related to the amount of alcohol you drink. And so I do think that's a biggie. And then as you start to see results from whatever you're doing, be it exercise, nutrition, or a new project. I went, I went back to teaching. You felt control again. You felt like, oh, okay, this I can do and this is okay. And so I think that's, that's the key word I would probably come to is do something that gives you a feeling of control and empowerment. You know, Debbie Waynes talked about that. It's the 
sense of starting something new and and recreating your your story. And that sounds a little bit like, oh, I don't want to do that. That's ignoring what's happened before. I want to preserve the, those memories. I, but you can do that. And one of the things I found very helpful is when I tell stories about Al, I tell funny stories. I tell things that maybe don't always make him look like such a great guy. I tell things that are real and we laugh and it just, laughter is incredible as Mm. a healer as well. So I don't know. Is that what you were, is that answering the question? It very much is. And yeah, I I think that, and what I was fishing for there, what you gave us beautifully is advice for anybody who's dealing with grief or trauma right now. I I think that those are some very sage words from somebody who is coming through this in real time. I love how you talk about, you know, you can still honor the past, but to reinvent yourself and to regain control because you're right. So, you know, loss is always out of our control and finding healthy ways to deal, to cope and to grow, frankly, and to not regress and or stagnate, but to actually, you're just a beautiful example of that. So thank you very much for sharing all of yeah, that. Yeah, I read something when you heal, you're not the same after you've healed as you were before you started. You have learned something. There's some wisdom, whether it be in your body or your mind or your experience that you've gained along the way. And so healing isn't just getting back to status quo. It's getting better. Yeah, no, I love that. Healing is getting better. And we're all at an age listening to this where loss is just, it's a, now it's, it's more and more a, a part of our life. It's a natural part of the life cycle. And we're entering that. We're seeing more of that. So being prepared for it, dealing with it and healing and growing are beautiful, beautiful messages. So. Nancy, as we're wrapping up here, is there a place where you'd like to send people? Do you do you have social media or is there anything you want to shout out? I, I really don't. I would welcome conversations with anybody who wants to reach out, share my email. It's just my last name without a hyphen, flintbuddy at Gmail. It's um, happy to to connect with anybody who would like to chat about grief, probably not financial planning. Okay. That's fair. All right. And folks, I will put that email into the show notes here. You guys can find that there and feel free to reach out to Nancy with any, you know, any, any conversations regarding grief. Well, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your incredible journey with us, your healing, your transformation, your growth. Really appreciate the, the time and the honesty and the vulnerability here today. It's a journey. It is. Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I want to let you know that we have other free resources over at silveredgefree.com. There you'll find all of our free guides with our top tips on nutrition, exercise, and healthy lifestyle to assist you in your weight loss and fitness journey. So feel free to head over there and download anything that looks useful to you. I'll put links to everything we talked about in the show notes, and you can find those over at silveredgefitness.com slash 222. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. 
The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons, and for you podcast folks to please consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today, and until next time, stay strong.